Blog Talk Radio. April 6, 2013 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. Normally, this is the podcast devoted to the discussion of news and politics from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, objectivism, and the overall goal is to protect and revive the uniquely American sense of life. Tonight's podcast, which is a discussion of uh, getting things done with the author, David Allen, arguably fits within this goal because I think think it will inspire my listeners to start or maybe improve their practice of the getting things done methodology and therefore live happier, more productive lives. And besides, of course, I just thought it would be fun to talk about this stuff with David Allen. So I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play the interview for you. It's just under 50 minutes. I'm going to hang out in the chat room with you. I see some people are already in there. So you can go ahead and comment and we can discuss there. But after the interview is done, I'll be back here to discuss your comments or take your calls. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and play the interview with David Allen. I am happy to welcome David Allen. He is the author of best-selling books, Getting Things Done. Many of you probably have heard of that one. Also, Making It All Work and Ready for Anything. Uh, David is currently the chairman of the David Allen Company. Is that right? That's it. Okay. So that means that you have maybe taken a little bit of a step back from the day-to-day operations of the company and maybe doing more big-picture work? Yeah, big picture and little stuff and fun things and be as you know sort of crazy man, which is what I do much better than trying to run something. Okay, okay. Well, thank you for joining me. I am really excited to do this interview. You're not going to remember this, but way back in summer of 2009, I wrote a review of Getting Things Done. Obviously, that was many years after you initially wrote it, but that was when I first came across it. And I was very, very excited about it and started trying to explore these methods. And as you know, this is a lifelong learning process, and our lives have various bumps in the road that make it more challenging to get a complete mastery of these methods across all areas of our lives. So I've been working on it since then, and I think I'm actually doing better at it all the time. Uh, Personally, I have been doing a setup since last summer that deals in a very simple way with native iPhone and Mac software options, which your company has recently provided a setup guide for on the website, which I was excited to see. But I I do a a fairly simple method of of the system myself, and obviously I'm adding little tweaks all the time as I see a need for them, as I see things are slipping through the cracks that I haven't captured. So so that's me. I'm a, a continuing student of this. Uh, the other thing that I noted is I used to be married to Leonard Peikoff, who is a prominent objectivist, and he himself is mainly an author, and he also has been managing in the state. He doesn't have the kind of inputs that your standard executive does, things flying all the time. But I noticed after I read Getting Things Done 
that he has throughout his life adopted a system that is consistent with it. Again, you know, on a, a pretty simple level and very low tech, big inbox, throwing papers with anything he doesn't want to fall through the cracks, you know, write, write notes and everything. Everything gets into that inbox, goes through it regularly with an assistant at least once a week, sometimes twice a week, and he just has a system to make sure that everything that captures his attention makes it in there. So I was excited to see that somebody who I thought was very, very productive through his life like you've mentioned, you know, some people have done this. They've sort of stumbled upon at least many of the methods that you outline as part of the getting things done methodology. So that, that's my background. I was going to ask for the benefit of the audience if you could just give a brief overview, if they're not familiar. What is GTD? Really, it's a made explicit what we implicitly do when we really get things done in a sort of stress-free way. So I didn't really make anything up. I just started to recognize what happens when things really work and pulled it together into a more conscious and explicit methodology. Um, and you know, quite, it's quite simple. Just basically externalize you know, any potentially meaningful thing out of your psyche and you know, into you know, in some objective form, in some trusted way, sooner than later decide exactly what those things mean to you. you know, park the results in appropriate places so you don't have to keep rethinking what stuff means step back and review the whole inventory of all your commitments at all those horizons on a regular basis and trot your heart or your gut or the seat or pants or whatever you trust when you take a look at that and decide what to do and what not to do. Right. That's, and, that's the game. And and the thing that everybody wants that conforming your conduct to this system actually gives you is the clarity of mind to focus on whatever it is that's in front of you now and get the most out of either your relaxation or your productive work. And that's the thing that we're we're all striving for. So, sure. Well, it, you know, it, it actually is quite a simple thing. I mean, uh, to me, it's kind of bemusing to see how long it takes the world to sort of wake up to the fact that your psyche really sucks as a system. Right. <laughs> and everybody's still trying to use it. And, and therefore, you tend to be driven by whatever's latest and loudest because that's about as good as that system is. And latest and loudest is not exactly the most strategic, you know, objective, rational way to run your life. Um mm -hmm. And, and, you know, the, the, it's, quite, it's actually just quite mechanical. You throw it into your psyche, you know, it tends to drive things based upon either the emotional content or how recent it was, you know, which is that's kind of how that works in there. It also doesn't have much of a sense of past or future. So you tell yourself something and that, that you might, would, could, should, ought to keep track of or remember or do something about, and you throw it into your psyche. If you don't have it in a system, your psyche then starts to think you should be doing it all the time. And that's why people are burning out because they're just throwing all that stuff into a into a place that doesn't have a sense of past or future, and so they're just overwhelming and blowing their own fuses all the time. Yeah, we should all be cleaning out our garages right now, this second. <laughs> or yes, yeah, and, and the, the trick is to put that on a someday maybe list. At some point, I'll clean the garage. Fabulous! And every week, look at it and go, not this week. Thank you very much. Exactly, it's just not my priorities right now. Now, you say that getting things done is a system and that's based upon principles that are true for all human beings. So it's not applicable to people of one particular culture, one particular belief system, etc. And as I told you when we were setting up the interview, I come from this perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, which is objectivism. Not all the ideas that we'll talk about today are unique to her philosophy. They're things that I learned through her philosophy, but some of them I do think are kind of unique to her, and I think it helps to explain why, at least I've observed, 
so many of Ayn Rand's fans are also fans of GTD. But I think that Rand's fans can better understand her philosophy in some ways. And I also think that many fans of GTD might better understand the benefits of the methodology by exploring this intersection between elements of her philosophy and GTD. So that's kind of my goal in the in the interview here. The thing that I uh, really realized more when I was listening, I was listening to Making It All Work recently in the audiobook form, and you've got a great laboratory in which you developed this. It's it's uh, you know it's the real world, so it's businessmen and of course other people as well. But it's what people need to be productive, or as I said, to be focused on whatever it is that they are doing at the time. Uh, if you're going to look at productivity in objectivist terms, it's what everyone needs to be able best to focus and to produce all the values that are required to sustain human life. I was going to ask you to tell us a bit about the process, about how your coaching experience led you to derive these principles in the practice of GTD. Uh, well, there was no one big epiphany. As I say, to me, it's been a long string of epiphanets where <laughs> little pieces would start to, uh, you know, come together. One of the things, you know, one of the elements was something that I learned from a lot of the self-development work and sort of high-performance behavior and interaction work that I was studied just avocationally myself years ago was I had a lot to do with agreements, agreements with yourself, agreements with other people, and what happens when you keep them or when you don't keep them. And there's an automatic price you pay when you don't keep an agreement, which is the disintegration of some sort of trust in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's actually true internally as well. If I make an agreement with myself and I don't keep it, then you know my own self-trust goes down so and that's an automatic price because you know there are people i love dearly that i wouldn't trust further than i could throw them to show up you know when they tell me they're going to show up not that i don't love them but you know hey based upon data <laughs> if they break an agreement then that the trust that the trust is not there so that was one key element it's just you know i don't think most people realize how many agreements they've actually made with themselves so when you sit when you tackle something like you know, the the practicality of, quote, time management, which is kind of a hoax. You can't manage time. It's really about managing yourself during the time you have. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing that, you know, a lot of what you're dealing with is my agreement, my agreement to show up at a certain time, my agreement with myself that I need to get this done, my agreement that I would, could, should, ought to do anything. So just beginning to understand what that inventory is and also getting it out of your head. And, you know, that I learned from a, a guy that, you know, I, I, who's a mentor of mine, uh, a management consultant, who had learned that in order to get executives sort of to get their thinking unstuck to decide what the next action was mm -hmm. on anything that was, you know, lurking around on their desk and in their head and deciding the very next physical action. That was a very, very powerful thing to unstick things uh, in terms of moving things forward. So all those became elements that I was actually using myself personally. I mean, it was I had the experience of sitting down at one point and, and having somebody coax me to dump everything out of my head. And that's just a phenomenal experience in and of itself. And, I've, and since then, you know, every time I've had anybody do anything like that, everybody feels, you know, more in control and more focused on what they're doing, kind of no matter what, without exception. Right. So I began to understand that was a principle, that somehow externalizing things, you know, was a key principle. And then, you know, then then exploring the uniqueness of, all those different kind of things we get out of our head, you can't just stop there. Otherwise, you become a compulsive list maker and you've got sticky notes all over your computer screens and you've got you know lists on your refrigerator and you've got lists all over the place. And that, that won't help either. You also then have to move that forward 
in terms of getting more specific about what those things are that we're pulling on you that you've captured. What do you need to do about them? So uncovering sort of outcome and action thinking, which are really the zeros and ones of productivity. You know, if you want to get things done, you need to decide what done means and what doing looks like and where it happens. And that really translates to what are we trying to accomplish? What's the final game here? What's the intentionality that drives whatever's going on? And then how do I allocate resources to make that happen instead of something else? Right, right. I I love the fact that you are able to put all of the various points that you make in so many different ways because at some point you're going to hit every single person and get the you know get it into their brain, which I, I think is is excellent. One thing also that I love about your uh, emphasis in making it all work is that like any principle that a human being needs in order to live a flourishing life. All this must be learned. It's not that this is inbuilt or automatic. Each element of it, as you said, it's not rocket science, but the idea of putting it all together and the idea that we actually do have to get all of the things out of our head is something that we need to learn. I I was going to ask you, are you one of the type of people that you talk about in your book kind of chidingly that we have great memories and so we just feel like we should just leave it all in our heads and that we can and we think that that gets us by in life but in reality it doesn't serve us very well at all well i think it's a new phenomenon a relatively new phenomenon it, it, it is true that that we are not born doing this you, you didn't hop out of the womb going hi what are we trying to accomplish what's the next action and is that yours or mine you know, gee, mom, you know, <laughs> all right, thanks for giving birth, but now what's our project now? And, and well, what, it, you know, these are actually learned behaviors, but the, you didn't really need to learn these behaviors that much if you lived in a sort of crank widget world where you just show up and you walk out and, you, you know, you're just in survival mode. It's really when the, the, the phenomena of knowledge work began to emerge where you actually had to think to decide what to do. You know, that I've made the point that that people don't need this if all you're doing is cranking widgets. You show up in a big pile of uncranked widgets, you know, let you know what you need to do. So the the work itself becomes self-evident. You don't have to do much thinking to decide what to do. That's also true in a crisis. That's why a lot of people relax in crisis in a strange way, because you don't have to be making decisions. You don't have to think. You know, you, you, you're trying to survive, and so you just have to deal with what's right in front of you. So if you live in that kind of world, it doesn't become the, the complexity and the, the, real, the real stressor and the real crisis is when you are not in a crisis. Then all the, the barbarians at the gate come flooding through. Call, oh, oh, here's 14 things I could do with my kids because the, I just found the neighbors just found that they could send their kids to a class. But my kids got to go to that class, too. Otherwise, they're going, the, the, the other kids are going to get into Harvard. Not, oh, my God. You know, right. So you start to add that, you know, when we talk about the barbarians at the gate, if you drop that, that and then your life, you, you get to then step into the stress of opportunity. And so now you have so many possibilities, so many options that thinking actually starts to become required. And also when you make commitments about things you want to try to accomplish that are not necessarily right in front of you, that's where you actually have to think, well, what do I need to do to make that happen? And then as soon as you commit to two or more of those things, now you say, well, whoa, now I've got to make a decision called which one do I work on first? What's the most important thing? And now you've moved yourself into more of a cognitive space that then requires these kinds of behaviors to thread through them. They, they don't show up by themselves. At least they don't seem to. I, I could imagine, though, that the life of someone like one of the founding fathers, for example, where they were traveling and they were doing political things and maybe they were lawyers and sometimes they were writing a book, they would have had all 
different projects and things going on. So there would have been some need for this even if they weren't engaging. I mean, in today's world of knowledge work with emails flying by and stuff, it's a whole different thing. But I think that anybody in any sort of semi-productive era where there were at least some range of options would benefit from this system. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, And by the way, many of those folks made lists. Right, right. Absolutely. Right. I think Benjamin Franklin was known for writing on productivity and such. So, yeah. So that's excellent. So, um, in terms of the first category of intersections that I've observed between GTD and objectivist philosophy, it just has to do with the question of, again, what is needed to be able appropriately to engage with whatever you're doing. And this is, I think, what you refer to as the control piece. You talk about control and perspective. The first issue is a rather simple one, that we have to capture and organize in a trusted system all of these commitments that we've made with ourselves because of what you can call RAM, like the RAM, you know, the analogy is the RAM of the computer, but it's the idea that we can keep only so many things in our consciousness at one time, and that insofar as you have a bunch of things there, that it's going to prevent you from thinking profitably about any one of them. Uh, as I said, I, I learned about RAM, the or what we call, in, in actually in objectivism, we call it the crow epistemology. And it's called that because they did a study on crows, and I guess crows can manage three things in their mind at once. They can keep track of three hunters in the woods. And then if there's more, they don't realize that there's still one hunter left after three have left or something like that. That was the study. But uh, it's obviously not unique to objectivism. And it's probably something, what, that you learned pretty early on with your work with businessmen? Sure. Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, first of all, just my own personal experience with it. And, and then I'm so lazy. I was like, why do I have to, well, why should I keep track of stuff like that? You know, I love the old Einstein, you know, quote attributed to him. Oh, why should I remember my phone number? I can look it up. There are a lot better things to think about. Right. So, so, so keeping track or using your brain to, to, to keep track, which is really, really kind of silly. And if people say, well, gee, David, that's really, you're really overblowing it. You're, you're really exaggerating it. You don't need to keep track of all of that stuff. And I say, well, look, if you think your brain can do it, why do you have a calendar? Right. right? And, 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 you know, don't be intellectually dishonest. If you think you shouldn't get everything out of your head, don't keep anything in your, you know, out of your head. Right. And the reason you have a calendar is because life became more complex than your brain could actually keep track of. And by the way, the, I, we've seen a couple of new studies that it's not, it's not, uh, you know, it's not five to seven things or five to nine things in your head. It's about three max. <laughs> so, 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 so we're no, we're no, we're no better than the crows. Is that what yeah, you're saying? No <laughs> kidding. Yeah. In terms of being able to really be able to track and monitor those things, you know, start to keep track. If you had to, if you had to remember eight people you needed to call, you know, uh, much less their phone number, uh, and tried to do that in your head, it's going to be a crapshoot as to which one pops in that you really need to do. Yeah, and whether you're going to do it in the proper order at the proper time. Sure. Uh, one thing I did like on this point is that you recognize that no one is going to perfectly capture every single thing at one time, that, the, that there's almost basically no way that anybody can perfectly capture all of the inputs of their life. Basically, you can do the best that you can. And, I mean, I would I would define in, in objectivist terms, we would define as perfect the, you know, doing the, your utmost to 
execute this and, and capture as much as you can, recognizing that no one is perfectly omniscient and able to get it all in the system as once. You know, you, you benefit to the extent that you practice, right? That's true, and the, it's actually not that hard. It, 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 what you have to do is start to pay attention to what has your attention, mm-hmm. and then that, you don't have to go very far. Just start to notice what's on your mind because, you know, as I discovered, there's an inverse relationship between on your mind and getting done. Uh, so that if it's on your mind, it just means that there's something you haven't decided about it or something about the results of your thinking that you haven't parked in some trusted way. So it's just a, it's just a reminder that there are things that, that you have not yet finished. And you actually can, you can do that. You can get to nothing on your mind. You, you know, it just takes the requirement to both recognize what's on your mind and also have the methodology about how to get it off your mind. And that's what I figured out. I just figured out what that algorithm is. And you, you actually can do it. It's possible to actually bury it and have nothing on your mind. For now, for a very brief period until something comes yeah. in? <laughs> yeah. But but then but then you grab that too. Right, right. And right. then well then there's the Zen of it that once you actually catch this game, uh you can have nothing on your mind about the stuff that's on your mind. In other words, you can be highly objective about yeah, I got a bunch of crap back around, you know, banging around my head, and that's okay because I know how to get it empty. And you can actually be okay and not have that a distraction simply because you trust the system. So some of the studies that they've done recently, Baumeister in, at, at the University of Florida, uh, the great book by the way, Willpower by John Turney and, and Roy Baumeister, and he he did a number of those studies. And one of the studies was that the mind actually can let go once it trusts there is a plan or an approach to it. You don't have to finish these things. But once the mind trusts that there will be a way to get it done, that then it actually lets go in that way. So right. you don't have to finish all this stuff. You, you just have to trust the, the game, and that, that includes your own behaviors. So you do have to trust that you will empty your end basket in order to be able to throw something into your end basket and get it off your mind. Yeah, and I, I have experienced this, like I said, to the extent that I have faithfully executed this. And in particular, when you have tools that you use all the time anyway, that you're not going to some kind of separate tool, it's something my, like my iPhone I'm engaged with all the time. So if I've got my system right in there and all the commitments are, are coming up to me through it in various ways – I'm I'm golden, you know. I I know I I rely on it. I feel much better. Obviously, I I think I still have a ways to go with it, but I, I you know, as I said, I'm I'm on the way, on well, the way to mastery. <laughs> the, the digital tools are tricky business because out of sight, out of mind. That's right. why a lot of the high tech people actually are going back to paper simply because it's more evident, more tactile, more in your face. And so you have to, in order to make an iPhone work in terms of those lists and those things you're keeping track of, you have to trust that you will engage with those lists and pull them up, you know, at the appropriate time and place. And it's very easy to slip unless you're really rigorous with the model. Yeah, and I, I do think they're doing a good job of letting the, the list sync across the different devices and everything else. So I sure. at this point, I, I, I do trust it, but I could understand going back to paper as well. Uh, one thing that you were talking about in the last answer was this issue of things that, keep coming up in your mind, maybe even though you've captured them. And this leads to the point that the capturing and just putting them in a system, organizing it in a system alone isn't enough. You have to do more. You have to clarify the outcomes and then also the next actions that you need to perform in order to get closer 
to the outcome because otherwise we will still be continually nagged by the commitments. We have to get actually concrete about what our commitments actually mean in order to get them off our mind. How did you first realize that? I don't remember. You don't remember? <laughs> I really don't remember where that came up. It just sort of, you know, I, I think I had I had a guy coach me on the next action mm-hmm. uh, concept and realized how powerful that was. I thought I had my act pretty much together until he had me dump everything out of my head and then go through each one of them and say, what's the very next action on each one of those? And I just realized that I had not finished my thinking and the, 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 the existential experience of control and focus that just emerges immediately when you actually make those decisions um, is, is very powerful. And again, it's one of those things that I never found an exception to it. If I had somebody dump stuff out of their head and then go through each one of those items one at a time, say, what's the very, very next physical, visible action you need to take? Everybody, uh, you know, very much up-levels their sense of control and focus on what they need to do and feels much better. And they feel, basically, they feel now appropriately engaged with it. In other words, if you look at most people's to-do lists, all you see are incomplete lists of unclear things. You see things like mom or bank or doctor or babysitter or holiday or something like that. And understood, those were grabbing something that's like yanking your chain. But if you don't sit down and say, but what about mom? Well, it's her birthday. Well, what are you going to do about her birthday? I don't know. That's right. And so most people actually don't even want to look at their list because they're being reminded when they look at them of still uh, thinking and decision-making that hasn't been finished yet. So if if you have a commitment to do something about mom's birthday and you haven't yet figured out the next action, you're actually not keeping your own agreement with yourself. And that's, that was the big key that I began to understand is that you haven't finished your thinking and some part of you says, I should. Otherwise, you put it on someday maybe and make it okay that you're not deciding. Right. So it, it's okay to decide not to decide as long as you have then put that into, into your system in that way. But if some part of you says, no, I still need to, I still need to, I still auto, I still auto, and you haven't come up with the next action, then you know, there's no way you can be appropriately engaged with it and get that off your mind until you, until you make that decision. Right, and so that just all goes back again to this idea of keeping commitments with yourself. And I did not actually write about that in the write-up that I sent to you, but that is really just so foundational. Rand would say, you know, if if you aren't keeping your commitments with yourself, if you aren't living up to what you think you should be doing, that's going to affect your self-esteem. It's going to affect every area uh, of your life. More particularly here with respect to this, this idea of getting concrete and that it's getting concrete about what these commitments mean that's going to get them finally off your mind. I saw this analogy to what Ayn Rand called a floating concept. Uh, She had the idea that any concept, in order for it to be actually part of your knowledge that you felt at home with, it had to be tied to the actual things in reality to which it refers. Otherwise, you're going to have this nagging discomfort whenever you try to think about or to use that concept. That is, if, you know, if you're a conscientious person. She believed that many people hold a number of concepts, things like justice and freedom, big, important concepts. Uh, they held them in this way. and it, it, uh, try, ha- try happy. Happy, right? Exactly. Happiness. You know, uh, what does happiness mean for a particular person? It would mean achieving the values that are important to you. But do they think about concretely what those values are? A lot of people don't. So, um, but you know, they they hold it in this way that you would probably call stuff. I I love the quote from GTD, the the first book, that when you talk about there was a, a seminar per- participant who had the list, and the list was not yet concretized. And she said uh, it was an amorphous blob of undoability. 
And that just stuck with me because it is. Most of the to-do lists, they don't really say, what is it you're actually going to do next? And I I do think it's really helpful. Yeah, oh, very powerful. And it's so simple in a way. And again, you don't need any more equipment than your frontal cortex, you know, to, (laughs) to do that. But, and there's no software that can really decide what a next action is. So that's the one thing that, that your system still has to be your cognitive process there to decide what's the very next action you know, on, on something. Yeah, and I, don't, it, I, don't, I don't think it, they have an iPhone app for that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, people, you know, the artificial intelligence people are still trying to build in, you know, and if you happen to be a, you know, write macros for Excel or whatever, I mean, a lot of the really geeky folks would probably love to be able to create a program that when you ran it, it says call Fred. You know, but even if you did, you'd run. You go, nah, I don't feel like it right now. So you know, it's it's a. It, it, there's so many variables that come into the decision, that kind of decision, and you know, I think one of the reasons people resist it is that it's, it's a, uh, it's 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 kind of a way that um, it it's really it the the risk of being in the in the physical world and actually doing stuff until you get down to the next action, you can still sort of, you know, kid yourself and everybody else that you're smart and that you know what you're doing. But when you actually put your body on the line and say, okay, what exactly is the next thing to do about mom's birthday? In a way, it kind of, you know, throws reality in your face. And there's no way you can absolutely, totally trust 100% that it's exactly the right thing to do. So that's where you really step into the risk world, you know, just by deciding next actions. So it's risky business to be here on the planet, you know, and sort of trust your judgments about what you do. Because it is, it's really more about direction, not perfection terms of your your but but learning that as a style about how you approach life a lot of people do it sort of instinctively and intuitively but it is something you can actually learn to right. do a, do a lot better now objectivists would say that we are perfect insofar as we are weighing all the alternatives within the context of knowledge that we have we don't demand of ourselves omniscience so we would say if you actually have gone through the process of looking at all of your commitments and within the scope of the totality you've decided this next action on this particular project is the thing to be doing right now then you would be acting perfectly because there's nothing else that's possible to human beings right so you define it at least objectivists do according to what is actually possible to us which i think gtd helps us get closer to so um but that's i mean this is a, a semantic issue but sometimes i don't know the semantics we feel like well we're not we're never perfect well what is perfect and and I think a, a realistic standard of perfect does does help people in a certain way. Um, the well, next, basically, basically, you just want to get off your own back. Yes, you know? yes. And so, whatever it takes, whether you want to call yourself perfect or the perfect imperfection of who you are, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, what the heck? And right. by the way, if you're ever in your zone when time disappears, you know, that's mm-hmm. then there is no distinction between work or play or good or bad or perfect or imperfect. You're that you're there. You're on. So that's the that's the whole. I, I guess that's one of the 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 promises of GTD and the methodology is to make that your more your lifestyle as opposed to an exceptional event. So yes. that you're just on all the time. You can't have nothing on your mind if you're conscious, right? But but the, if the only thing that's on your mind is the only thing that's on your mind, then essentially you're in your zone, and that's really where you want to be because that's then that then allows you to flourish. So what GTD does is it produces the conditions to allow maximum or optimizes your ability to flourish. And flourish for a 22-year-old who's all an adrenaline rush, you know, uh, uh, geeky, self-starter, entrepreneur, 
is very different than if you're 52 and have three kids and want to paint as well as be a vice president of an insurance company. Right. So, but but it still flourish. So yeah. flourish, I think, is something that that you know conditions where people flourish. That's really what the promise of GTD is. It will optimize your ability to flourish wherever you are. Yeah. Uh, simply by giving you the 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 optimizing your ability to access you know as much of your consciousness and free it up and have it under your control. Yeah, and and relieve all the stress that a lot of people carry around needlessly as well. Sure. Yeah. Now, the next big area to discuss is the approach in GTD as a bottom-up versus a top-down approach. A top-down approach, I would think of, uh, you know, uh, Covey. You know, with the Franklin Covey, people would always tell you, think about your big-picture values first, and then you would get down, you know, to the nitty-gritty of today. But in GTD, you capture all of the commitments first, and then you end up doing thinking on them that's going to get you up to the issue of values and and purpose, et cetera. So, um, in philosophy, we would maybe call this an inductive approach, induction versus a deductive approach. Can you tell us why you think the bottom-up approach is a more effective way to go about managing yourself? Well, this is just experientially and, and anecdotally over all the years. I just discovered that if you start with where people are instead of where they should be and have them become successful and appropriately engaged with where they are, then they will get to where they should be in a much more uh, grounded and organic way and a very real way. So it's another way to say what you just said. But essentially, it, it's not so much that you start bottom up, you just start with where people are. Some people are right now very much focused on a values issue. Uh, you know, if you've got a boss that is behaving or you're in a company that's behaving in a way that is outside of your value system, that is very much what you would want to start with. What's got your attention? Hey, you know, these people are not, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a context that is outside my value system. So you, you sometimes a 50,000 foot or a, a, the, the top level in terms of purpose and principles, as, as I've identified that, those level of commitment, sometimes that actually is where people are. But in fact, if you ask most people to, to take 30 seconds and write down the top things on their mind that are grabbing their attention, you know, very few people are going to write down fulfilled, de- fulfilled destiny as human spirit on the planet. You know, they're going to write down cat food and babysitter and mom and bank. And those are the things. So what you want to do is, you know, that that if you can't appropriately engage with mom, bank, doctor, uh, whatever, you're not going to be able to appropriately engage with executing on your bigger picture anyway. So teaching the execution capability, like whatever it is I've got, how do I appropriately engage with that? Then you can point that at whatever horizon you want. But you've now learned a, a methodology and a skill and an ability to be able to think something through at any level. And it makes it much easier to be able to do that. Right. And for some people, it might be the case that going through all of the commitments where they are right now is going to be part of the thing that helps them discover the things that they truly value. Maybe they say in their mind they truly, truly value one thing, and yet a lot of what they do in their life is going in a different direction that is actually what what they value. It might be part of the discovery process, yes or no? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no no kidding. I mean and uh, you know, people often say, "Well, how do I set priorities?" And I say, "Well, get all the commitments out of your head first and then step back and take a look at the whole game." And I guarantee you I've never seen an exception to anybody anybody ever does that, steps back and takes a look they feel exponentially better <laughs> about, oh, okay, now I see kind of where I am. The problem is is that if you, if you get micro-focused on whatever's yanking your chain, whatever's right in front of your face, 
there's a whole lot of the rest of your life you're not able to be conscious about, though you can feel it. And so whatever decision you're making, you're not fully trusting any of them. And it actually might be the right thing that you're doing. <laughs> a lot of people are actually doing exactly what they need to be doing, right. but they don't know it. <laughs> they don't know that. Yeah, because they haven't gone through the thinking process that gives them the you know, confidence that they are doing the right thing at that time. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of you, you talked about computer programmers and tech people are very big fans of GTD, that that's one segment of the population. And you're not to paint too broad a brush, but a lot of times in objectivism and Rand's philosophy, we've talked about those people being rationalistic and the idea that they have a lot of things that are more floating in their mind and that they're in their world of computers and programming and they're not as engaged with the real world. And I would think that the GTD process, insofar as it does really get them into thinking about the concrete world and next actions in the concrete world in various areas of their life, I think it does them a great service. It's like you're helping to tie these people to the real world. Um, you, you might think, I mean, some of them seem like they might get a little bit too caught up in the the process and you know, getting some really complex piece of software and spending your whole day putting everything into it and not actually living life, that could get a little, uh, you know, overwhelming. At least for me, I don't like to get too involved in the computer program part. But if people are, are really practicing that, I think it's going to help them, you know, engage with the real world much better. Like you said, that the actually going and starting to do the thing that you are committing to in the real world and, and looking at what that next action is can be scary in a way. It makes them actually say, okay, I'm, I'm committed to this project. I'm ready to go. It's uh, I'm actually going to do this versus, oh, maybe someday pie in the sky and feel bad that they're not doing anything about it. Well, what GTD does is it gives people – as the as the programmers would say, it, it defines all the subroutines about how you get your end basket empty. And those subroutines, like, like, okay, if it's this, it goes here. If it's this, it goes here. And getting your life down to actually doable steps, you know, actually becomes then intriguing and engaging. And then you start to go, wow, that that, that is really part of the game is to get it down to that level of execution. Mm -hmm. And the, most people, you know, as I say, the biggest procrastinators are the most sensitive, creative, and intelligent people because, you know, what they can do, those kind of folks can look at something and freak themselves out in about a quarter of a second with the 643 evil demons that might occur if they if they, this thing isn't done perfectly, mm -hmm. and they just stop right on the front end. So in a way, it's kind of a way to intelligently dumb yourself down is to get this big amorphous thing down to pick up phone punch numbers. You know? Right, right. <laughs> and somebody's like, gee, I can do that. No kidding. You know, so actually, it all comes down to pick up phone, boot computer, walk body, open mouth. You know, there's nothing you do in your life that actually doesn't come down to a fairly simple thing to do. And so I defined or just, you know, really made explicit the algorithm about how to get things down to that level. And then that starts to get all kinds of people a lot more engaged with a lot more things. Exactly, exactly. The the parallel, one parallel that I saw with this was with respect to something that Rand said, and she had written that no concept a man forms is valid unless he integrates it without contradiction into the total sum of his knowledge. Now, end quote there. That's a mouthful. But I would I would say in GTD, we're saying that once you get an entire inventory of all your commitments, anything that's on your mind, you examine all of that from the various perspectives of the horizons of focus, that you would probably root out some of those commitments. 
um, you would say that no commitment or no value or project that I think I want to go after is actually valid unless you see it as something that you want to do within the context of this entire inventory. Um, I don't know if you would talk about it in terms of consistency necessarily. You know, I don't know if it's a, an idea of, I mean, it is, it is in terms of logic. I mean, it, it is in my context of today, can I actually be moving forward on all of these projects that I say that I think I should be doing? And then if I honestly look at all of them and I say, well, no, really, I can't be pursuing next actions on all these things, then I, I do need to put some of them on hold maybe for a someday maybe. Maybe some of them I'm going to say, sorry, I thought I wanted to do that. Maybe I don't at all and just let them go, et cetera. And, and and I think it's the, this integration piece, this idea of integrating all of your work and personal endeavors within the totality. I I think is is a is a great thing. So. Yeah. Well, you know, another way to say it is, you are not your work. But unless you have defined what all of your work is, and that's using work in the very broad term called things you want to get done that aren't done yet. Mm-hmm. Unless unless you have defined it and objectified it then it will own you. So you really, you know, what you want to do is to be able to unhook. Once you get all of that stuff out and you realize, wait a minute, I am not any of that, then there's a lot more freedom that you'll have to navigate in and through all of it. So the integration is, in a way, you don't even need to, you need to disintegrate all of it <laughs> from your psyche. And, and you know, whatever's left is, is really who you're dealing with. And so that, you know, then it makes it much easier to, to thread through it. And it becomes, you know, something of a martial art, something of a game, something of a, hey, let me go, let me go play the game of life. That's why my last book, as you know, was, was the, you know, winning at the, the game of work and the business of life. Because people need to lighten up a lot more about what they think about work as work and make it more of the game that it really is. And people need to be a good bit more businesslike about their personal life, you know, so that, you know, that's managed just as well. They're really all the same thing. You're right. Well, right. And and something that you emphasize there is the idea of integrating your work and your personal life, that you don't see it as you're balancing, that these two things are competing in a certain way. Uh, you know, for objectivists, we talk about your productive purpose is really supposed to be the central integrating standard. And why is it? Because we all need to produce some sort of values in order to, to live, to survive. So you would look at the you know productive activities really as the central purpose around which you would put everything else. But it's not like you can say, okay, well, here's my work life and here's my personal life, and never the twain shall meet. You know, and you're just going to be balancing competing interests. It's it's got to all make up part of a totality. And I I think in GTD, it's it's one of the few places that I've ever heard people saying, no, look, it's it's all integrated. It's, it is your life. Uh, you have to figure out around which what standard you want to integrate it, around which you decide what things make it in and what commitments I actually do want to hold myself to and which commitments I'm going to say, well, no, maybe I'll do that later, maybe I'll not do that at all. But um, with, with integration, I don't necessarily mean the idea of keeping it in your mind, but I mean the idea of getting it all out on the table and looking at it as a total picture of, you know what you're look what you're trying to do in your life right now, and deciding whether all the things that you're trying to do really can be you know done at one time. So many of us take on too much at once, and I I don't know before you go through this process whether you can get an honest look at the totality and make those decisions. Do that hard thinking. True. 
Yeah. Very so, true. So um, the, the the integration piece I really like. Uh, back a little bit to the the inductive approach issue. With GTD, again, I, I see it as kind of inductive. So you start with what you have actually committed to in the real world now, and then once you actually you have a sense of all of that, you can gain a higher level perspective that would allow you to separate the wheat from the chaff, or, or as I uh, said in the little write-up I gave you, from the pests and the crop rot, you know, the, the wheat versus the pests and the crop rot. Because some of the things that we are trying to hold ourselves to in our minds are in the context of the wheat being the most important thing. These are pests and crop rot. You really do have to make decisions to, to let them go at a certain point. So I was wondering if you had a story of, you know, someone that you've worked with who discovered that, you know, when the person thought certain things were his values or that certain commitments would be important to him, maybe he let them go or maybe he decided that there were things that really were his values, but he wasn't acting upon them because all these other things that were the chaff or the pest or the crop rot were getting his attention. We see it all the time. So yeah. there's, there's almost no one, it, it, almost without exception, that starts to happen. I see it most dramatically because of the context, oftentimes the ecologies that I, that I step into, they tend to be business oriented. And a great example of that is people who, uh, you know, it's sort of the, they get promoted because they're really good at something. And so they're, they're promoted into a new level of ambiguity, weirdness, and strangeness. And so they feel uncomfortable there. So they go run back and have a hard time letting go of all the stuff that they need to let go of and let other people handle. And mm -hmm. so just on a very tactical way of call, hey, wait a minute, that is no longer something I should be dealing with. <laughs> you know, I need to graduate to a, a different level. So, you know, and that's true about life at, at multiple levels, I'm sure, uh, you know, for, for most people. But, you know, it, it, it really is just a lot. Uh, you don't have to go very far, you know, just kind of take a look at what is. And just by looking at what is, to your point of not trying to add interpretation or ambiguous terms on something that then can fog the picture, just take a look. What have you committed to? Do you know what matters to you? And most people you know. I mean, that we all have a still small voice inside that will take a look and see that. Uh, and then, you know, essentially you don't really, I don't think people really change a lot of their core values. I think they're, you know, the, 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 I think you start to re-understand them in new ways or here's how that value would play out now that I'm 10, 10 years older or now that I have this kind of job or now that I'm married or now that I'm not married, you know, whatever it is. So as you go through a lot of the changes in life and go through a lot of your experiences, I think that feedback sort of lets you know. But, the, you know, GTD is a very powerful, to your point, a very powerful way very quickly to get a nice, clear picture <laughs> where right. you've been, where you've put your energies and attachments. Right. And, and, and make those decisions. So, um, through this approach, and, and this is one thing that struck me at the beginning when you say, okay, well, we're doing, in effect, a bottom-up approach. We're looking at what, where, you know, where you actually are now, what you've actually committed to, what has your attention. It's not that you're taking all of those things completely as equal in value. I mean, in a certain way, you say, yeah, they are equal in value in the sense that they are all impinging on your consciousness and distracting you in the same way. So there's the same amount of urgency to get them into the trusted system and manage them appropriately. But it's not that uh, you are an advocate of just taking everything that a person has committed to at face value and not sorting it or getting rid of some of it or deciding which ones are really important. That is going to come later in the process. And, and, and in effect, going through 
the GTD methodology is going to make you make more intelligent decisions about what your priorities are later than if you just walked into a room and started out asking somebody, so what is your life purpose? Um, that, that it would be, in effect, more real to them, more grounded to them. Like you said, you, you just said it a minute ago, that the values and everything are going to mean so much more to them in the context of doing that type of thinking. Sure. And the truth is that everybody's making value decisions all the time, all the time. You know, how many priorities do you have today? Well, how many different things do you think about today? Not just do, but how many things do you think about? Because you have the freedom to think about what you want to think about. So that means that every time you thought about X instead of Y, you just made a value choice. Why didn't why am I not sitting here thinking, you know, wonderful, loving, light filled thoughts, you know, about the people I love? And why am I thinking about the computer? Why am I thinking about this? So you're making you know, every time you go to sleep, you just said taking care of your body is more important than your marriage and your job because you just went unconscious from both of those. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So 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 it's really silly when you say, well, David, you don't deal with priorities. Are you kidding? <laughs> you can't stop dealing with priorities. And any little bit that you try to do or that you do in this direction, which is more objectify what your commitments are, take a look at them, step back and see – it will just mean that those minute-to-minute, moment-to-moment choices, you will feel better and better about them. Uh, and that's really where you want to get to. Excellent. So anything else that our conversation has sparked in your mind that you want to add that I'm leaving out? Because I, as I said, I think I still do have a lot to learn about GTD, and I'm pretty early on my journey, I think. Well, I think uh, let me congratulate you because, you know, a lot of people think that GTD is just a, a simple little transaction. Oh, I got GTD or I didn't. But in truth, it actually is a lifestyle uh, approach. And it's something that, you know, the, the mastership of this is it really is a martial art. How many other things could I be focused on outcomes about today? How much more efficient or effective could I be in terms of allocating my resources? How much more creative could I be in terms of, you know, supporting you know, the, my decisions and getting, you know, better data and better information and, and, and serving more people with what I do. So, you know, there's the, the infinite game, uh, and it's really nice to be able to have the arrows in your quiver of the GTD methodology just to, to keep honing that and keep sharpening that. So there's really, there's really a lot of layers to this onion to unpeel. So uh, I, I congratulate you on having recognized that this really is a, a lifestyle uh, thrust or a lifestyle kind of craft or art, if you will. You know, the way I would put it is that uh, Rand said that values are are those that one acts to gain and or keep. And something that I used to discuss sometimes with Leonard Peikoff, he used to joke, is it's the and or keep part that can be the problem. People think, okay, well, I've gained this value, so then it's just on autopilot after that. But the gain, you know, it's gaining and or keeping, so you have to act in order to keep it as well, and this is a, a constant process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you very much. This is this has been really fun, and I don't, you know, I, I can't think that I've taught you anything in the entire world. But I just wanted to communicate to you that there's a whole philosophy out there that I think seems to tie into exactly what you're doing. I mean, I, I see the fact that you have come at this methodology by working in the real world with real people trying to make their lives better and coming up with principles that tie into the philosophy is, in effect, evidence to me that my philosophy is, insofar as it conforms to that, good and right. So I've I've enjoyed really engaging with the material, not just as helping my personal life, but also as helping me understand the philosophy. So I thank you. 
Cool. Thank you, Amy. You know, it's been an interesting perspective uh, that you bring to the table about all of it. I appreciate it. Great. Thanks. So that was my interview with David Allen, and I think people in the chat room say that they're enjoying it. I got a good job, so I'm glad. Uh, Odegaard in the chat room is a GTD veteran, so it's good to to have him thinking that I did well. So I want to know, Odegaard in the chat room, did I leave anything out that you would have wanted to discuss in terms of a parallel or, uh, you know, some sort of an intersection between Rand's philosophy and GTD, something else that you've thought about? Give them some time to answer that. If people want to call in in the last couple of minutes that we have, we have about eight minutes left, 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. Odegaard in the chat room is saying, I'm putting him on the spot. Do you want to read some comments? I don't know. Hmm? Do you want to read some comments or questions? Yeah. I know people in the chat room here were talking a little bit about methods that they've used or pieces of software that they've used in order to do GTD. What I would like to recommend to anyone who's listening now who hasn't really looked into the methodology before, read Getting Things Done, which is David Allen's book. You can find that pretty much anywhere. Also, go to their website at davidco.com. D-A-V-I-D-C-O dot com. You could even do something that I've done, which is join GTD Connect. Uh, I think that the GTD Connect is a, is a fairly good value there because there are live webinars that they have pretty much every month that are valuable. There's tons of resources. One of the resources that they uh, put up there for free are setup guides. So, Suppose you wanted to dabble in various different ways of setting up a system of doing GTD. You could look at all the different setup guides if you're a member of Connect, which you can't really do uh, without just buying each and every one. I do the setup that is basically uh, laid out in the setup guide for the iPhone that they've just put up there recently. I started doing something like that last summer, as I talked about in the interview. So I'm waiting for Odegaard in the chat room to give me something. No? Did I actually get all of the the points? I'm sure that there is going to be something at some point when I reach a higher level of knowledge about this stuff that I could see another parallel with. But I, I I think that there is so much evidence in effect for the truth of the philosophy in GTD and in the value of GTD. So uh, Odegaard in the chat room says that these are two pretty big universes, so there are a large number of things that show up as one uh, practices GTD and as an objectivist. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've i noticed that myself. And so, as I said, one thing that I think Larry in the chat room liked as the question was the issue of the, the bottom-up, top-down. And the, the thing that I do like about him is that, yes, he says you start with where you are, and which usually means that you start with the very concrete types of commitments that you've made with yourself. But then you are not going to just look at those uncritically. You are going to look at those and say, okay, does this all make sense? Have I overcommitted myself? Am I doing things that aren't really in line with my values? And that uh, I think is a very helpful process. I, I think of it also in terms of Aristotle, Uh, Aristotle used to say that you'd have to reach a certain level of experience in your life before you could even talk about ethics. And so he, you know, definitely knew that if you were, uh, if you had a lot of life experience, you could therefore induce 
proper principles of ethics. So you could properly understand the principles of ethics because you could uh, validate them through an, an induction, sort of, you know, rehearsing the induction in your mind. But if you don't have that grounding to real-world experience, you're not going to be able to to realize a proper understanding of these things. So that's what I, I do think that GTD has on something like a, a Covey. But I also uh, like his point, which wasn't discussed really here in the interview, in terms of the fact that our priorities are, are shifting in light of the things that are coming across either through our email, phone calls, etc. And so that... Uh, you know, only with the GTD system are you really ready to shift your priorities at a moment's notice depending on the context that you're in. You can make phone calls right now or you can be on the computer right now. Uh, you know, there's different times that you can do different sorts of things. And GTD allows you to be more flexible too versus having certain to-do lists for the day and then, you know, something comes across and then suddenly you're you're all messed up. So um, Odegaard in the chat room is talking about Hierarchies and objectivism versus horizons and GTD, that could be true. In GTD, we didn't talk too much about this, but there are all the different horizons of focus, which are different levels. So you've got the runway level, which is all of the commitments and uh, the next actions. And then you have next level up will be projects and you have roles and values, et cetera. So, um, we we didn't so much explore those things, but I was I, I am fascinated with it in the sense of it, it being the one that looks at your life as a total. It doesn't say, okay, well, here's your personal life and here's your business life, although some people do like to maybe divide their roles up and different things like that. But when you have your lists of actions, your lists of actions are divided up according to the context I'm making phone calls now, so let me look at my list of phone calls. I'm out doing errands. Let me look at my list of errands. I'm at my computer on the Internet, so let me look at my web browsing you know, list of next actions, etc. So uh, it, it doesn't divide up the actions according to personal versus work, and I think that that's nice that you see your life as a total. I, w- I don't think David Allen would say you have to make your productive purpose the central purpose of your life, right, that that's the integrating factor. But he does advocate looking at it as a, as a total. So I thought that uh, was refreshing. Uh, Odegaard in the chat room says that when you get control over your runway and then also the 10,000 feet, then you find out a lot more about what your goals and values really are or should be as you look at higher level issues. Yes. And that's exactly the kind of thing that I have in mind. And, you know, that if you do start inductively, as long as you have enough good stuff in your inductive sweep, you know, of the sweep of all the experience and the information that you're bringing into your induction. If you have enough good stuff, then a proper thought process is self-correcting in that you're going to root out anything that's undermining uh, the the proper value focus. So, for instance, uh, that Odegaard, Odegaard is talking about. Okay, so we are at the end of our hour. Thank you, everyone, for joining me. I hope that you have enjoyed the uh, the interview with David Allen as much as I enjoyed doing it. I felt very, very honored that he uh, accepted the request to to go off onto philosophy this way. Uh, again, go to davidco.com if you would like to learn more about GTD and David Allen. I think he's got a live seminar coming up that you could attend if you're interested in doing that. I bet it would be excellent. 
Uh, for my show, if you want to comment on this show, go to DontLetItGo.com. You can join the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook if you want to be uh, up with future episodes or also talk about news events during the week, etc. You can follow me here on Blog Talk Radio by clicking the follow button. But most importantly, if you enjoy the show, please Spread the word. This particular show is featured as a staff pick, but most of all, it's usually spread around by word of mouth, and my mouth is only so big. Thanks, everyone. Have a good evening, and we'll talk next week. Bye-bye.